Hello, and welcome to the Idaho Reports podcast. I'm Logan Finney. Today, I'm joined by our producer, Ruth Brown, to talk about the Idaho Department of Corrections budget. Thanks for joining me, Ruth. Thanks for having me, Logan. So IDOC uh, Director Josh T. Walt presented his department's budget to JFAC, the budget committee this week. What were some of the key takeaways from the IDOC budget? It's a heavy lift for IDOC. It's a 33, excuse me, $333 million budget. Um, some of the biggest asks revolved around housing and pay for employees. Um, most notably, IDOC wants to build a uh, let me make sure it's 848 bed minimum custody women's prison. Um, and that would be built on the complex in CUNA that's already existing. So it would be the first time in more than a decade that Idaho has built a new prison. Um, we've built reentry centers in more recent years, but this would be the first um, additional facility. I think uh, building prison is something that people don't often get excited about. Uh, it's both expensive, but um, additionally, there's a fear that comes with it, that if you build it, will you fill it? Um, IDOC is really pitching this more as a way um, to alleviate some overcrowding issues that they have. And I can go into that a little bit if you like. Well, I guess let's let's take a step back and the Proposal for a new prison is one component of their larger budget. Um, what is the price tag on this prison proposal specifically? Oh, sure. I skipped right over that. It would be uh, $112.4 million to build a new women's facility. That is uh, money that would come out of the Division and Public Works budget. It would be on the um, South Boise property. And so $112 million does not include the cost of land. The state already owns that land. So it is a steep ask, but uh, we'll see where it goes. Josh T. Wall does have the governor's support in this. And I know that in years prior, lawmakers have been resistant to the idea of building a new prison. And you kind of referenced that idea that if we build it, we'll have the space and we'll end up filling it. But what is what is different about this budget proposal versus um, proposals for new prisons in previous years? One of the largest keys is that the governor is supporting it. Additionally, in 2020, the Office of Performance Evaluations did a review of the most inexpensive way, the most efficient way, I suppose, to house inmates. Uh, currently, Idaho does have an overcrowding issue. IDOC, let's see, as of January 12th, IDOC had 475 men being housed at a private prison in Arizona that they contract with. Uh, and we had 565 state inmates who were being housed in county jails because we didn't have the beds for them at state facilities. Uh, that's problematic for a lot of reasons. Um, but additionally, I think it's important for people to keep in mind that if you're keeping a state inmate who's serving a state sentence in a county jail, they don't have access to the same rehabilitation programming Additionally, if they're being housed at an out-of-state prison in Arizona, they don't have access to the same re-entry programming that they would at IDOC facilities. Additionally, uh, the folks that are being kept in Arizona are not from Arizona, so they can't have uh, visitors the way they might if, if they were being held in an Idaho prison. And I know that in my B, I hear sometimes these um, instances where the county jails are housing state prisoners um, IDOC does reimburse the counties for 
those holdings. But I've heard from um, county officials and sheriffs that they say that that reimbursement rate isn't high enough, even though it's more expensive than holding someone in an IDOC facility. And that's one of the examples that I hear of a, an unfunded or underfunded, I should say, state mandate uh, that helps drive up county property taxes. So not every uh, jail does take state prisoners. For a while, Canning County wasn't taking them at all, but that was largely because Canning County's jail was so full. It does cost the state, uh, I believe, $77 per day to house a person in a county jail. So the state has to reimburse the county. Uh, Ada County has taken issue with this. Their sheriff has been very outspoken about they don't feel that it is enough. It doesn't include uh, sometimes the cost of medical expenses. IDOC would argue that they reimburse the county for those things, but ultimately they want more space so that they don't have to keep having these disagreements. Sure. And with a new women's facility, uh, there would be some reorganization that ideally is the ultimate goal. Um, So the South Boise Women's Correctional Center, which is a minimum security women's facility, would become a men's facility. So that's several hundred beds right there. The Pocatello Women's Correctional Center would still be available for women who need higher security, higher security facility. But with the reorganization, um, it would ideally theoretically free up 700 beds for men. And those would be minimum security beds. Josh Tewalt told JFAC on Tuesday that there are currently more than a thousand minimum security residents who are living in more restrictive housing than what's necessary, um, which is both uh, more expensive to house someone in a more restrictive form of housing, but it's also not always fair to the inmates because they have, um, they only need minimum security. They're not um, causing trouble. They're not disruptive. They're not a danger. Additionally, though, I think there are some lawmakers that take issue with constructing the facility at all. So we'll see where that that comes. Sure. So constructing this new women's facility would allow them to convert the existing women's facility into men's beds that would allow IDOC to bring the county placements and the out-of-state placements back into IDOC custody. You referenced that in 2020, OPE, the Office of Performance Evaluations, uh, did a report on the cost-effectiveness of various forms of housing prisoners. What other discussion has there been about um, IDOC and the number of of prisoners that they are responsible for? So IDOC uh, has had an issue with overcrowding for quite some time. There's been many lawsuits about it, but additionally, I think it's important to note that in um, the last year, they have reduced their population. Um, Last year, they were at more than 9,500 people in custody. And as of January 11th, they were at 8,739 people in IDOT custody. And that includes um, both people in Arizona and people in county jails. I think it's important to note that even if they built the new women's facility that Josh T. Walt is pitching, I don't know that they could bring all of those people back into state, state prison. I don't know if there's enough beds to bring everybody back, but hopefully with the reshuffling, there could bring, they could bring some people back. Thank you for clarifying that. Yeah. Um, but as far as it's been an ongoing issue, um, at the time of OPE's report, Idaho has nine prisons and several re-entry centers. Those nine prisons could theoretically hold 6,779 inmates at the time. 
um, with most of that capacity being for men. Uh, and so obviously we have more than that, but some people are housed in um, re-entry centers as well. So it kind of depends on the status of the offender's uh, custody, but obviously our numbers are much higher than what the prisons were designed to hold, but they also haven't built a new prison in a decade and Idaho continues to be one of the fastest growing states. And so I think the legislators will have to look at um, how they wanna invest their money. I mean, you can't deny that as the state grows, there will be crime that comes with it. Um, some states have opted to invest more in rehabilitative programs, but um, Idaho has one of the highest rates of incarceration in the country. Uh, particularly with women, we incarcerate women at nearly twice the national average, which I'll talk to Rachel Cohen a little bit about that later to get some context, but it'll be up to the legislators. So I'll be interested to see what they do with this budget. And of those roughly 8,500 inmates in under IDOC's care, do you know how many of those are women? January 11th, we had, it was 8,700 people in custody and of those 1,200 were women. The vast majority are men, but I mean, it's well documented that male offenders are more likely to uh, commit felony offenses, um, violent crimes, those kinds of crimes that are punishable by uh, prison rather than county jail. So Ruth, other than this proposal for a new prison facility, what other items in the IDOC budget stood out to you? Well, additionally, they've had a staffing issue uh, among correctional officers during the pandemic. All um, both the public and private sector have um, had staffing issues, of course, but it's particularly hard for correctional officers because you cannot close the prison. They're a 24-7 operation. IDOC did raise correctional officer salaries, starting salaries, to $19 an hour, and they gave employee bonuses to support retention. Um, IDOC is asking for another $7 million dollars to um, continue that ongoing personnel costs. Additionally, they raised the salaries of correctional officers, but not of probation and parole officers. And so they're uh, trying to create equity uh, through this request. And so I think IDOC is hopeful that they will um, grant that. Additionally, another $12 million will be used to um, build another community reentry center in the Pocatello area, which is something uh, the director and um, prison officials are hopeful for. Community reentry centers are um, a low level of security and they're created essentially to integrate the um, person back into the community after their sentence. And what sort of response did T. Walt get from the lawmakers when he was presenting this budget? So he was well, relatively well received. There was a little bit of pushback about the cost of the um, 800 bed facility. I believe Ron Nate characterized it as um, Representative Nate said, there's a difference between necessary and nice. So I think he was questioning how nice the facility should be. T. Waltz though, I think um, made the argument that the people who are incarcerated are a product of their environment. And if we want to successfully reintegrate them into the community, then having a facility where you can offer rehabilitative services, education, that kind of thing, uh, is a better way of reintegrating these people. And then um, theoretically, it would lower the rate of recidivism in the future. And so a lot of what 
IDOC's budget revolves around is looking at the cost of not just today and what these offenders are doing today, but looking at the cost of how we can keep the public safe while also reintegrating some of these people. I think ultimately IDOC and the general public don't want to have as many people incarcerated as those that are currently incarcerated, but it's a task that they are assigned. And so it's up to the legislators to determine how they're going to invest in that. And then Rachel Cohen with Boise State Public Radio um, did some coverage recently about Idaho's, uh, specifically Idaho's female incarceration rate, which dovetails nicely with this conversation that we're having about possibly building a new women's prison. Um, And you spoke with her on Wednesday. I think it's also, I want to make note, the governor also is recommending $500,000 be allocated to IDOC for trauma-informed care. And um, that also uh, dovetails well with Rachel's story. She talks about how Idaho has the highest rate of female incarceration in the country. But um, Josh Walt did talk a little bit to JFAC uh, about the fact that many of the females in custody have experienced trauma. And the governor is recommending 500,000 be allocated to IDOC for trauma-informed care. It'll be a pilot program. Um, but T. Walt acknowledges that The women in custody have a high incidence of victimization and trauma, and they need different types of intervention than the male populations do. And so I'll talk to Rachel about that. I know she spoke with one of the IDOC officials about um, some of the issues that the female population has that maybe the male population isn't so prone to have. Very interesting. Well, let's play your interview here with Rachel Cohen from Boise State Public Radio. Today, I'm joined by Rachel Cohen of Boise State Public Radio. Thanks for joining me, Rachel. Thanks for having me. So on Tuesday, IDOC presented its budget to the legislature before JFAC. In that presentation uh, was discussion around a potential new 848 women's prison that would be built on the prison complex outside Boise uh, should they receive the funding for it. The reason I wanted to loop you in, Rachel, is last week you reported on the incarceration rate among Idaho women. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yes. So this was from a report from the Bureau of Justice Statistics. Um, It's the federal agency that keeps track of crime rates um, and other data related to the criminal justice system. And so this was this is an annual report produced um, called Prisoners in X Year. So this one was Prisoners in 2020, and it was released late last year in December. Um, And it showed that Idaho had the highest female incarceration rate um, out of all states with 110 for every 100,000 women in the state incarcerated in uh, state facilities. What is that uh, compared to the national average? It's more than double the national average, which is 47 per 100,000. Um, And actually, Idaho and Oklahoma are the only two states with rates above 100 per 100,000. You spoke with some IDOC officials in your story. Uh, Can you walk me through what you learned a little bit about this? Yes. So I talked to Bree Derrick, the deputy director of IDOC. Um, I wanted to know, first of all, if this uh, statistic was something IDOC was aware of, what they thought of it, and why they think it might be high. So first off, um, Bree Derrick said that, yes, IDOC has been 
aware of this high rate. Um, she had one caveat, which is that if you take out um, the riders, which are people who are counted in the prison population, but technically under court jurisdiction until they're actually sentenced or um, released on probation, if you take those people out of the prison population, Idaho's female incarcer incarceration rate improves, um, but just slightly. And that's um, a unique program in Idaho. So that was um, one caveat, but overall her message was that, yes, um, this is something IDOC has been aware of and is generally concerned about. Um, one thing she mentioned was that when we incarcerate women, um, it, it affects families and it affects communities. It does. I've uh, done stories in the past about uh, the number of women who are incarcerated who do have children and um, the vast majority of them are mothers. So that's a problem in and of itself. Uh, something that Josh Tewalt brought up yesterday, in fact, is that many of the females in custody have experienced trauma of one kind or another. Uh, they have a high, a high incidence of uh, victimization and trauma, and um, the governor is recommending $500,000 be allocated to IDOC for trauma-informed care, um, acknowledging that interventions for the female population can be different than the male population. Tewalt also noted that uh, when looking at ACEs or adverse childhood experiences, more than half of IDOC residents have experienced multiple adverse childhood experiences, which can increase the likelihood of um, addiction and criminal behavior. Did Bree talk to you at all about the role that addiction might play or um, childhood experiences might play in the incarceration or criminology of these women? Yes, she did talk about that and just how, um, you know, women who are in the IDOC system are more likely than the general population to have um, issues with substance abuse, mental health, and, um, you know, a lot of times that is intertwined with adverse childhood um, experiences, and that both affects how they tend to enter um, the prison system what crimes they're charged with, um, but also their experience um, at when they are incarcerated. Um, and, uh, you know, anecdotally um, on the sentencing side, uh, I spoke with Erica Marshall, who is the founder and director of a new um, uh, criminal justice advocacy nonprofit that is looking at Idaho's high women incarceration rate. She said anecdotally, um, you know, Idaho's policies related to uh, drug crimes might contribute to uh, the high female incarceration rate. But overall, um, from the IDOC side, that's just something that they know that their uh, prison population struggles with. And I believe it affects the types of programs that they're looking to implement in this new women's facility. Are you familiar at all with the governor's pitch to include some of the pre-prosecution diversion strategies? Um, I did see that highlighted in the budget. I believe it was $2.5 million for at least one line item related to um, diversion strategies. 
I think those are also sometimes called pre-sentencing strategies um, for people who are thought not to commit further crimes um, and not be, or most likely not a danger to the community, um, just programs to keep those people out of the criminal justice system. I'm not exactly sure what those programs will look like because I think they're typically implemented um, at the local level. Okay, well, that's good to know. I know that those were supported by the Opioid Task Force and the Idaho Behavioral Health Council, um, but the Behavioral Health Council has uh, a lengthy list of recommendations, some of which revolve around um, women, others around juveniles, so that'll be kind of a, um, a beast of its own another podcast, maybe. Rachel, is there anything else that we should know about what you learned from my doc last week? Um, I thought, you know, I, so I was talking to Bree Derrick about both Idaho's high female incarceration rate, but also the plans um, to construct the, a new um, minimum custody women's prison in the Boise area. Um, and when I asked her about that facility, you know, just after talking so much about the incarceration rate, um, one thing she said was, you know, we're not building this prison just to incarcerate more people. She emphasized that um, it really is about being under capacity right now. And that's why they are requesting that funding. Rachel Cohen, Boise State Public Radio. I appreciate your time. Thanks so much. Thank you. All right. Thanks for working on this coverage, Ruth. And thanks for joining me on the podcast. Thanks, Logan. New episodes of the Idaho Reports podcast come out every Wednesday. Be sure to follow us on social media and subscribe to our YouTube channel. You'll find all of those links at idahoptv.org slash idahoreports. presentation of Idaho Reports on Idaho Public Television is made possible through the generous support of the Laura Moore Cunningham Foundation, committed to fulfilling the Moore and Bettis family legacy of building the great state of Idaho, by the Friends of Idaho Public Television, and by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Hi, I'm Marcia Franklin, the producer and host of Dialogue. For more than 25 years, we've been bringing you conversations that matter. More than 150 of those conversations are with writers, and now you can take them with you wherever you go, while you're walking, around the house, or in the car. Just search for Dialogue with Marsha Franklin on Apple Podcasts and other podcast platforms, and remember to subscribe so that new shows download automatically. Enjoy.